Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, I'm sure that song reminded you. Happy New Year. We're glad you're here this morning. Delighted to have you with us. I want to invite you to turn to your bulletin to page 11. There we'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 49. You can follow along in your Bible as well. We're delighted that you're with us this morning. It's so good to see so many people beginning of the year. We're going to look for one more week, I think. Yep, one more week at the book of Isaiah. So we're going to go forward about 40 chapters uh, from where we've been over the last month as we consider in the month of January... Uh, our missionary calling as a church. As it's already been mentioned, we're at the beginning of the epiphany season, a season where parts of the church have focused on the glory of Christ and that glory being made known. An epiphany is an aha, as Pastor Chad said, or a manifestation. So it's easy to see why themes of light and brightness and glory uh, are a part of this particular season. Today is no different. Isaiah, if you'll remember, he loves to play with the images of light and darkness. And if you remember, the people who have what? Dwelled in or walked in darkness have seen a great light. We've talked about that all, um, all last uh, month. But to, he does so to illustrate who the Messiah is and what uh, he would do and what we as his people, uh, how we ought to live in light of that. So I want to invite you to stand this morning, please, and I'll read for us if you'll follow along for our young disciples this morning. I want you to listen in the sermon for why the picture or why the metaphor of light is used. Why not something else? I mean, why, what's so important about light? That would be an important thing for you to know. And then also I want you to listen for a gross story there. It's just cheap shot, but it's a gross story and I would love for you to, to listen to it. Let's follow along now as we read God's word together and, um, and let's, uh, let's turn our hearts to him now. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation might reach to the end of the earth. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you'll be seated and I'll pray for us briefly. Father, Son, and Spirit, thank you. Thank you once again for your word to us. Thank you that in it is light and life. Thank you that you, Holy Spirit, are with us this morning to encourage us today and to show us Jesus. And we ask that you would come again, that we might have a mini epiphany today where we would see Jesus and be marveled by him once again, or even perhaps for the first time this morning. And that by seeing him, we ask that you would cause us to love him 
Lord, we confess that we are helpless apart from you, and so we ask that you would come and that you would show us Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen. I wanna begin this morning by saying, uh, sharing a story with you. The, the quote was, sir, we have, we have to give you a last name. Sir, we have to give you a last name. Now, I want you to imagine, as this man did, waking up in the hospital and hearing those words. And then imagining, imagine hearing those words, not being able to answer the question. Such was the case back in 2004 for a man named B.K. Doe. Upon his arrival at the hospital, he came in by ambulance, unconscious, beaten, eaten up by red ant bites. He was found behind a dumpster on the ground at a local restaurant bearing the full name for which his initials now stood, BK for Burger King. And the only thing he could remember was his first name, Benjamin. And so he made up the last name, Kyle. Cut off from his memory and his past, he entered a world that he knew nothing about and with no way to make sense of it. He remains now in his 70s, an amnesiac, not remembering who he is or what his life was about before his accident. And I share that story with you for a reason that I'll just, I'll make clear in just a moment. But for now, I'd like to mention something monumental that has left most of the American church, rightly so, speechless. You see, if you were around last fall, you heard me say that the American church is seeing the largest and the fastest change that it has ever seen. That since 1998, more than 40 million Americans have stopped, have stopped, what do you think I'm gonna say? They've stopped going to church, that's right. You see, in those, in those last 25 years, that number is greater than the first Great Awakening, it's greater than the second Great Awakening, it's greater than all of the Billy Graham Crusades combined. That sort of loss is what has been experienced over the last 25 years alone. And that number you see presents an amazing opportunity for God's people. It's indicative of an opportunity for God's people, the church. But in order to do that, we need the earth shattering news that Isaiah 49, one through six gives us. More on that in a moment. You see, this text is loaded with good news and mission. But there is a problem one that needs to be addressed graciously, but very firmly. And that is the American church, by and large, is, like B.K. Doe, struggling to remember who she is. She has, so to speak, lost why she existed in the first place. I mean, we often think about what the church is, but do we ever pause for a moment and ask why? Why the church in the first place? You see, for so many in the church, in the church, the church has become, as one pastor put it, a place where. Does that make sense? A place where. It's become a building, as beautiful as it is, a location where religious goods and services are dispensed. Now, to be fair, I understand that I sound very get off my lawnish and curmudgeon right now. I understand that. But I want you to see that the Bible knows nothing of a church, of the church, as a place where? The church is always a people who, first and foremost. And here it is, a people for what? And that, and that is where we want to look these next several weeks. But today, Isaiah is going to show us this. Our king, 
He's gonna show us what our king does and how what he does gives us a reason for existing, the church. And this, this reminds us of who we are as God's people. So I really just have two brief points I wanna make for the remainder of our time this morning, showing you what Isaiah shows us in this text. First of all, that Isaiah shows us the servant king of mission, the servant king of mission. And he's also gonna show us as well the mission of that servant king. So the servant king of mission and then the mission of the servant king. Let's begin by the servant king of mission. Now what you need to know or remember here at the beginning of this text is it is a text written to God's people concerning their exile, their exile. What we discovered all last fall in the book of Daniel is being, this is being addressed to those people, to their, ex, to their exilic state. And the point is, is that God one day is going to raise up someone, someone in the book of Isaiah, in this particular section of Isaiah known as the servant. And there are four songs about him, this is the second one, that speaks of a servant who will come and do for God's people what they cannot do for themselves. So if we look as well at this, I want you to see in verse seven, if you have your Bible open, it's not printed here, but if it's in your Bible, you learn that this figure, this servant is a royal or a kingly figure. So if you look at verse seven, it says that kings shall see and arise and princes shall come and they shall lay themselves prostrate before him. Meaning that the kings of the earth are coming to lay their crowns down, themselves down, before the greater and better king, whoever the servant is. But there's more of the servant spoken of. Look at verse three. There are two ways in particular. Verse three shows us that the servant is a larger or corporate entity, we might talk, it's a group. Look at verse three, I'll read it again. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So without a doubt, this is spoken of as Israel as a whole. But, but, this is very important. There is another way that the servant is spoken of. There is a servant who is distinct from Israel as a whole too. Look at verse five, let's read it again. Now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb, that is the servant, to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. So this is saying is this, that there is one distinct from Israel, yet part of it, who will act as a servant doing what the Lord has bid him to do. And the work of that servant would be, as the text tells us, to rescue Jacob, Israel, though the servant is certainly part of that entity, Jacob itself. So I know it's confusing, but this is the hard work we needed to do to make sense of this text. We might say it like this, Isaiah is showing us that there is a coming royal figure named the servant who will be anointed by God for the particular work of bringing God's people back to God. This will be unlike any king that has ever gone before or since for the nature of his kingship will be marked out by service in this way. Here's what's so important. This means that Isaiah is telling us something important about the work of the servant king. His work, look at verse three. His work, work will glorify God. Whatever the servant does, which we know is gonna to be to bring people who are estranged from God back, is going to glorify the Lord. That's what he's telling us. 
or to put it another way, to save them. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus' name means in Matthew chapter one. She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now listen, really quickly, don't don't miss these first few words in verse one. Listen to me, listen to me. You people from afar, give attention. I want you to see that. But I don't want you to brush this off. I don't want this to just go in one ear and out the other. The servant is saying to you this morning, listen, will you please hear? Will you please hear about what God's servant is gonna come do? He's gonna come save people who have no hope and they're no help to themselves. I share a story with you that I've shared here before. It's been a few years, but it's such a great one to get at this picture. It's a story of a woman in uh, Arizona one day. She's watching as her two-year-old child just walks across the lawn, and boom, she vanishes. Yep, not into thin air, but into her septic tank three or four feet below the ground. The lid, the septic tank crumbles, and the child goes in. And there in the midst of that muck and of that filth, Bystanders standing around that day run, they lay themselves down, they immerse themselves, they go into the septic tank itself to bring the lifeless child out of the septic tank. And there that child is passed along where another is resuscitated through CPR to literally breathe life back into that child. Now I just want you to see that this is what the king does. He comes and he rescues people out of the muck that we make for ourselves. And he blows and breathes new life by his spirit back into us to save people who can't save themselves. So listen, pay attention. Do you know God in this way? This is what he has come to do. This is how the servant will be known. I want you to see then that this text, if you don't know by now, is talking all about Jesus. That Jesus is exactly what God is doing at his epiphany, revealing his very heart through us, through Jesus. You might remember what Paul says, that it's Christ who is the image of the invisible God. Or to put it another way, that it is Jesus who shows us what God is like. And don't miss that, that God loves to come. He delights to come and to rescue people who cannot save themselves. But I want you to note too that there's more to this story, that there's more that Isaiah gives us. It's just the tip of the iceberg for Isaiah, just the beginning. I want you to see not only does Isaiah show us the heart and the the, the actions of what the servant king of mission and who he is, I want you to see as well the mission of the servant king. Now, secondly, remember this is a dialogue between the servant and God. These six verses, there's a back and forth between who the servant is and who, the, uh, and who God is. But I want you to notice from verse one, the audience of this dialogue. It isn't merely the people or the nation of Israel. It is instead coastlands and peoples from afar, verse one. It is them that are called in to listen. You see, these are the nations that the Bible calls the Gentiles, non-Jewish covenant outsiders. We would call them today non-Christians. 
Why? Because they're outside. They're outside of covenant with God. But notice what God says to the servant about the work he has to do. Verse six, it is too light a thing, says God to the servant, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. The preserved of Israel. Pause. Long ago, God promised, didn't he? He promised to use Abraham, to save Abraham, to save Abraham's line through Isaac, Jacob, and right on through. And that that saving was gonna be a blessing to that line, to that family, but, but that blessing was going to be not just for them, but for the blessings of the world, for the nations of the earth. So if you're an American, you have God's promises to thank. If whatever your nationality is, whatever your people group is, whatever your tribe or your tongue, if you know Jesus, it's because the blessings of Abraham have run right through the servant of Abraham to you. And that's a good and beautiful thing. That's what we're trying to see here as well. But look, Abraham's family would be the conduit of God's mercy and grace for every nation on the planet, for every nation. And this is too light of a task. That's what I love about this. It's too, that's, that's chump change, God says to the servant. That's triple A ball for what I got stored and my story for the world. I'm going after everybody through you, servant. So that non-Jewish people through Israel's servant king are going to get in on his salvation. Let me put a point on it. The servant will be a light to the nations so that Yahweh's salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Wow, wow. And that is what is meant by light. It's a metaphor for knowledge. It's a metaphor for understanding, like when a light bulb goes off. So long before the Great Commission ever existed in the New Testament, we're told here in the Old Testament that God was going to come one day and make a way for outsiders to find a way in through the work of the servant. And if you remember what the New Testament in fact tells us, this is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost where the nations begin to experience the saving grace of Israel's God through faith and repentance. Now let me just drive this home a little bit for us. This is comprehensive for us, brothers and sisters, because it means that Jesus has a mission. And it is this, that the salvation of God the blessings given to Abraham long ago would reach every nook and cranny of the earth. I love what the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. You know I've said this before, how much do the waters cover the sea? All of it, that's exactly right, all of it. And the great plan of redemption, the great course of human history is that God is making a people for himself from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Listen to what Paul says in the New Testament. Remember that one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, that you were at that time separated from Christ, having no hope or without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The servant and his work would act as a light, shining in the darkness, and the nations would see him and his work and be drawn into fellowship with him. But there's one more point, and it's the point I've been dying to make this morning. 
It's the point that we need to hear. It's the point that will cure our amnesia about who we are. It's the point that is the reason we exist. It's the point that is the great hope of Nashville to the nations, to every tribe, tongue, and people, and it is this. It is that our servant king, Jesus, stands out from us as our head, our representative. He, 1,000%, is the light to the nations, but we are his body, the church. And guess what that means? That we, the church, are a light to the nations too. Jesus, who calls himself I am the light of the world, says to his disciples, to his people, that you too are the light of the world. Matthew chapter five. And that, brothers and sisters, is identity language. It is who we are. We are a people rescued and loved by our King, and the church is God's instrument in the world to be a foretaste of the community of heaven for the sake of those who do not know him. And this is important. This isn't first marching orders. When you hear me say light to the nations, so much of us here, now go out and be the light. That's not what I'm saying first. This is birth certificate language. This is who you are. You are light. This is telling us who we are. And I love, therefore, what one of my favorite missiologists, a man by the name of Christopher Wright, he nails it when he says, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church as if we needed some busy work to do until Jesus comes back. The church was put into play because God has a mission to make in his name known to every corner of the earth, hallelujah and amen. That's what our task is. So this month, and we hope for the rest of our days here at Covenant, that we would begin to conceive of mission, not as a department or not as a program in the life of the church that we take up and put down willy-nilly whenever we want. No, to participate with God in his mission is our ever-present identity and task by grace enabled by his spirit. God, in his inscrutable wisdom, has bound up his own glory being made known with the mission of his people. And we do that by bearing witness, by telling others about him, living lives for his name's sake alone, sinful and flawed as we may be. So friends, I'm telling you this, there is so much shelf life here of joy. There's so much joy here to know that you are participating and that you're calling, that you're participating in the Lord's work in his harvest. And whether you go across the ocean or across the street in Jesus' name, there is joy, joy like a drug on offer to you. So, whether you're a high schooler, wondering about your life's point, here it is, it's for Jesus. Your birth certificate says, Ryan Anderson, light to the nations. And it's for you right there at MBA. It's for you right there at Hillsborough High School, at Brentwood High School. And it's not just from the least of us, from the younger us, but to the older as well. Septuagenarians, octogenarians, I'm talking to you. If you got life in your lungs, God's still using you. 
I'm reminded of my friend and now in his mid-70s who lives down in Florida and he spends his days telling others in his condo suite about the glory of Jesus, burying them at their funerals because he's telling them about Jesus on their deathbed. Every single one of us, if you're connected to Christ, has a wonderful and beautiful mission to make Christ known. That is what I want you to see. So for all of us, maybe one little help this month to to just like a baby step to help us in this. If you haven't already put up your, your Christmas candle, will you leave it out? Will you leave your Christ candle out? And just, and just light it every night for Epiphany. To remind you of who you are, you are light. And to remind you of a world that needs that light. Just, just light it for dinner and pray and ask the Lord to change you and to shape you in that way. You see, here's the thing I want you to do. I want you to see that, I want you to see that Jesus is the one who is the light, but because we are connected with him, we are light as well. And I need this. Have you forgotten this? Has your amnesia gotten the best of you like it does with me so often? It makes me and leaves me self-centered and tight-lipped about who Jesus is. Not really intentionally, but passively finding myself with a careless attitude for those that don't know Christ and that those that are bound to an eternity of death without him. What will be the cure? Remembering, remembering. And I'm not talking about you remembering. Because later on in the same passage, at the very end, there's a very famous text where God makes a promise to his people, both then and now. And it is a promise that's meant to cure us over and over again when we forget. God says this, can a woman forget her nursing child? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. The gospel tells us that the servant king's work sent him to the cross where his palms were ever, forever and ever marked for us. It is Christ remembering us there and always forever and ever and ever that secures us to himself. And it empowers us to be light to the world, to remember who we are And seeing that gives us what we need for faithfulness in our calling as we wait on him to return and to make all things new. Friends, brothers and sisters, I am so delighted that you're here this morning and I pray that you will take the opportunities for us given to you over the next month to come and to join us and to learn more about who we are and pray that God would make us to be. Amen and amen, the gospel for you this morning from Isaiah 49, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Jesus, as our servant king, that you have come. And thank you for inviting us and calling us into participation with you. Lord, would you stir our hearts again? Would you move in us once again to see our glorious identity as light to the nations? Help us, we pray. And now, Lord, would you strengthen us as we come to your table unto that end? It's through Christ and for his glory we ask this. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Covenant, please visit covenantpres.com.